This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Hey folks, Garrett here, and welcome to the show. In this episode, our very first, we introduce Jörg Reinbold, Managing Director of APX, an early-stage startup program and investment fund created through a joint partnership between media giant Axel Springer and legendary automotive company Porsche. Aside from being a leader of the German startup ecosystem, Jörg is a lifelong entrepreneur who has built multiple successful technology companies and invested in even more. Hope you enjoy this episode, because it's a good one. Coming to you from WHU, on the banks of the Rhine River, in beautiful Fallendar, Germany, this is the best and most awesome founder podcast. A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. So I'm Jörg Reinbold. I'm Managing Director of APX. That's a joint venture of Axel Springer and Porsche. And we invest into very young companies. And my connection to WHU is that I don't think I've ever started or worked in a company where I'm not surrounded by WHU people. And um, I always like to, to go to WHU. The most successful company I ever like co-founded, three of my co-founders were from WHU. Hi, Jörg. Great to have you on the show. So maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about APEX, well, when it got started and what it is that you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we started um, a year ago and um, we, we built APEX um, um, as like the, the, the evolution version of Axel Springer Plug and Play. Axel Springer Plug and Play we did for five years and we still do it. Um, With, uh, and we invest into very young companies. We have Axel Springer as one shareholder, and at APX we, are, we have Porsche as the other shareholder. And what we do is we invest at the pre-seed and the seed stage into, um, into young companies with digital business models who want to create venture path businesses. And our business model is pretty simple. We invest very early, then uh, we stay on, board as their shareholders. Um, hopefully, we help them to scale their company and then later we want to sell our shares. With RPX, obviously, we are in the uh, we are, have been investing so far only. With Axel Springer Plug and Play, um, we have invested and we also did some exits and secondaries. So, yeah, with Axel Springer Plug and Play, we've invested into 102 companies and have done hundreds of follow-on financing rounds with um, RPX. We have invested into 22 companies um, during the last 12 months. And um, with uh, we invest every month into companies. So we have like a rolling program. Um, as we invest so early, The what we give to the founders is we give them a little bit of money and then we give them, uh, so we give them 50,000 euros. We get 5% um, at the pre-seed stage of the company. And then we give them um, a tailor-made program that consists of a rolling program of workshops and mentoring days and, and other opportunities to get input. Um, 
and a tailor-made venture development program where we work with them on all the dimensions that you need to work on when you want to get external financing. And um, yeah, the pre-seed stage for us means it's a good team. Team means more than one person and um, with a good and scalable idea. And when we select the companies, we look at the people a lot and we want to understand the idea. And usually the stage where they are is it's a, it's a team with a good idea and a great vision. And um, they, they have started to like translate their idea into a plan. When we invest, it takes them like four to six weeks to, um, to develop their minimal viable product. And then um, they learn with us um, how, how their, their product actually works and if they can create a product market fit. So we are very early. Wow. And they're getting a million euro pre-money valuation. Yes, they do. That's yeah, that's, uh, that's good, we think. But it's also it's, it's good for them if they, when, they, when they then um, continue and when what they want to do actually works, then um, the next financing round is uh, usually is good for them, good for, for investors and good for us as well. And in the past, um, at Axel Springer Plug and Play, We invested 25,000 euros, also for 5% of the company. Um, and there we sometimes joked, no, the, the companies rather joked. <laughs> they said, well, with this investment, we can show that we can work without money. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> at RPX, we, we joke with the starters that with 50,000 euros, you can like, obviously that's not a lot and you can't like build super huge marketing plans and execute them. Well, you can build the plans or come up with the plans, but you can also start to execute and show some traction what works. And then um, usually it's better for the next follow on round. So would you call yourself an accelerator program? Yeah, we, we are. And that's, um, and we, we sometimes joke that if the word accelerator wouldn't be so poisoned and, um, <laughs> In, uh, in Germany especially, um, we, we would probably call ourselves an accelerator with, uh, with, a, with a strong investment arm. Um, but what we actually do is that we hope to be able to provide a significant um, support for the startups in form of, on the one hand, cash. But that's like usually it's a neutral thing. But also like network and the tailor-made program should help the startups to, to get to the next financing round. And so far... The results we are seeing, like the follow-on financing rate, that's a KPI we always look at, like how many of the companies we invest in are able to raise a follow-on uh, financing round, looks very promising. So with the, with the, we, the, the, the way we look at it is we, we look at how after six months, six months after the program has ended, the program is six months long, how many of the companies were able to raise a follow-on round And so far, we are at 100%. So we can only get worse. So, uh, 
One of my colleagues is currently wrapping up his PhD research on um, on founder preferences between corporate versus independent venture capital. It sounds like you guys are somewhat independent and somewhat corporate. Can you offer some insights into that? If everything we want to do works well from a founder's, founder's point of view, we we are a hybrid where, like, you get the independence, the independent capital that has no strategic obligations or limitations in combination with the access to the networks of our shareholders. And um, the Porsche network is very international, uh, very mobile and lifestyle oriented. And the Axel Springer network also very international um, with uh, Axel Springer consists of more than 200 majority, majority owned companies in all media and marketplace areas you can imagine. So it's, I think, a quite interesting network. It's an interesting combination because you're dealing with a major media company and a global automotive brand. I imagine these two companies have very different interests. Do you do you look for startups that have potential links to those corporate partners? Yes and no is the answer. Um, so the um, what what connects Axel Springer and Porsche is that um, they both agree that first and foremost, what we do is about making good investments, investing into really great founder teams and then creating shortcuts for them to become successful. Mm. Then, obviously, some of the shortcuts are with the shareholders, um, but that's not it's not necessary that the startups we invest into can utilize these shortcuts. Um, we sometimes create programs um, specifically our programs, we call them tracks. That's something that we put on top of the, the ongoing um, tailor-made program. So, for example, in May, we'll start a track. It's called Real, and it's about um, property technologies and connected homes. And both both topics are interesting to our shareholders, to Axel Springer, obviously, because they Axel Springer, they run um, some of the biggest uh, real estate portals, um, uh, vacation home portals um, and um, content around connected home. There are se several magazines that they publish. Um, Porsche is thinking a lot about the the fact that when you create, uh, when now they they are creating um, the Taken, the new electric vehicle, and you will well, the owners of the car will most likely put a charging um, station into their home. The charging station is not only connected to the power supply, it can also and will be connected to the home and it can be like a starting point to digitize homes. And interestingly enough, people trust Porsche that um, they will provide a decent always working technology to like charge the car, but also maybe do some like connected home topics. So there everything comes comes back together. And then um, we created a program that is on top of everything else we do that is specifically, specifically targeted at companies in the field of property technologies and, and connected homes. So we are like looking for companies right now. They, the first ones will move in in May and then we'll have like six months with them and the shareholders to see what we can do. There are other partners involved in that track as well, like Strabag, a big construction company, um, then uh, a group of um, smart home 
uh, mittelständische companies, I don't know, yeah, medium-sized companies from, it's a very German thing, um, who will, who are also very interested in connecting, connecting with the startups. And we think that the startups also will be very interested in connecting with all these partners. And what we do then is create um, opportunities to connect and think about what they can do together and then hopefully do it. Is your intent to deliver cohort themes or tracks that mirror the strategic priorities of Axel Springer and Porsche? Some areas we've, we have been doing this since, since like five years. Um, but we also th very strongly believe in, in the general support of good digital startups. So we will, and this is our main business, is, the, is finding great founders and creating an environment for them where they can like grow their company. And then on top of that, we, we provide like um, more vertical opportunities. But it's not that we want to focus on the vertical opportunities more than on the general digital investments that we do. So it's, a, it's an as well as. things that makes APX really interesting to me is that you guys are investing in the very early stages of startups. As you know, uh, for many years, this has been a real gap in the startup investment world, with most accelerators and other investment organizations preferring some level of market traction or proof of concept. I imagine this early entry requires you to have somewhat different criteria than other organizations of, of a similar kind. Can you provide some insights for the founders listening about what criteria you look for in a startup applicant? Yeah, I think the earlier you are, the more important the team is. So um, we look we look at the team very closely. We want to understand, are these the right people? Mm. How complete are they? What are they missing? Um, do we agree with them what they are missing? Um, do we agree with them or do we understand how they want to build the team? Um, how they want to um, it, do we do we think they have um, a, a, a compatible set of values? That's usually that that's something we learned that uh, in the past that when companies fail um, and they th when they fail so that they are not savable, it's um, because the team breaks up and that's usually because um, their their value systems were not con compatible. We've seen like between 20 and 30 percent of the companies we invest into, or the teams we invest into, um, they change their business model quite significantly. So they pivot um, within the first six months of their existence. Um, so we we always joke that it's even more important to look at the people who are doing it because we invest into them because they might change their business model. An example. Um, the most successful investment we did so far is in uh, N26, Digital Bank. Um, and to be completely honest, if they would have come to us, uh, Maximilian and Valentin, the two founders, and would have stood in front of us and told us, we are two founders, we are going to start the bank of the future, we would probably, I don't know if we would have dared to invest into them because we might have said things like, hmm, 
you don't start a bank just like this mm -hmm. and if you're only two people you might need more people to start a proper bank and starting a bank might be very complicated so when they pitched to us they um, pitched the idea um, of a credit card for teenagers this we got immediately and we 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 were like um, this sounds super interesting there's nothing like this in, in Germany, at least, or in Europe, nothing that we knew. Um, it's something that everybody needs. Everybody who has children um, that, that get, to, into a get to a certain age, you have to figure out how can they spend some money digitally, because they all want to. Um, it's about like financial literacy. This is something that, that um, the Axel Springer content people were like super interested in. They, they were like, oh, this is an interesting topic. And... So that, that's why we invested. And then they pivoted. And they didn't pivot out of weakness. They pivoted out of strength because they built their MVP in the first four weeks, which we were like, ah, good that they are so fast. And then they had, had the MVP. We all tried it. And, and they, they did their first tests. And everyone was like, this is so cool. Actually, I would want a credit card like this for myself and not only for my kids. And then the first angels invested and said, hey, build the credit card of the future. Then the first VC invested and said, hey, this is really cool, but why don't you build like the, the bank account of the future? And then Peter Thiel mm -hmm. uh, came around and, and he, um, he, uh, he said, guys, be, be, think big, build the bank of the future. And then he invested quite a lot of money and, um, and then they built, the, built N26, the bank. Amazing. Yeah. And, yeah, that makes sense. The last financing round they did was at like $2.7 billion valuation. So very good for us yeah. and for them. I want to touch a little more on the team topic because I founded a couple of companies with friends. I also always start companies with friends and there's this day when you have to decide, um, okay, am I, I don't know if you have that day as well, but I always have it when I'm like about to start the company and there's this like short phase where you really think, okay, should we do this? Should Shall I do this? And then it's this, if if I do this, this means... When it gets tough, I will decide for the company and not my friendship. Because that's, I think, what you have to do the moment you get like other people's money. And um, yeah, I have one friend who's so dear to me that I would never start a company with him, <laughs> even though we have so many ideas. But he's like so important for me that, that I would not, I would never, like whenever I think about the decision, you or our company, I always choose him over over the opportunity to start a company, which for me is like very important. But that's also something we look for. We look for when we when we talk to founders, we want to find out how how do they interact with each other. And we designed our maybe I can talk about our selection process mm -hmm. because it's built around trying to figure out how good is this team. Um, so it 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 starts with um, with a questionnaire where we ask. Um, that's more like a paper review thing where we want to understand the 
the idea and get a little insight into who are the people who are doing this. When we like this, we invite the founders to do a video, not a video pitch, but more like we give them some questions and tell them, can you please film yourself answering these questions? We don't need like a highly high-end produced video. We just take a cell phone, um, sit in front of it and talk and uh, tell us tell us about yourself and also give us some answers. And then we look at the video and there you, you, you see so much when you, when you look at these videos. Um, how they talk, how they like um, interact with each other, how they make each other shine or like it's, it's very interesting and, and um, especially with like first time founders you also have to be very careful not to, to read too much into it or out of it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and um, then we decide do we want to meet them in person and then we invite them not we don't invite them to pitch to us. We invite them to do a venture development session with us. So we spend an hour with them working on on their plan. And, and um, usually either we have like very concrete questions we want to discuss with them or we ask them about like pivoting moments in, uh, in when they started the company. How, when did they make ma major changes to their idea? How was that? How did they feel about it? Um, how did they make the decision? And when was the moment in retrospect when they could have like seen the first weak signals of there's something we need to we need to work on? And then we also obviously discuss with them. So what does success look like and how do you want to get there? Um, and then usually an hour is very quick, is quickly over. Uh, but then you, you know how they how they are and um, how they behave and how they interact with each other. And then and that's, it's, it's like, we always joke, it's a sweet secret, but it's not really a secret. And then we make the decision to invest 50,000 euros. And then actually we have six months of very proper due diligence because they are here with us. They are working on their company. We talk to each other all the time. We see each other mostly every day. And then when they then do the next financing round, I think we really know them and then we know that we should like follow on invest into their company if someone else invests. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a long due diligence. I want to ask you a little bit about team composition as well, because specifically for young folks coming out of a business school, there can be a real challenge in finding co-founders or, or even early stage team members with strong technical or engineering skills. On top of that, you know, using your example of N26, a startup bank, how important is it for founders to have some level of sector or domain expertise as well? I mean, do you think founders need a strong understanding of the industry in which they're looking to shake up? I think domain expertise is a good and a bad thing. So I think the, the really cool founders, they, they have domain expertise, but they also know exactly what they need to destroy. Um, Mm, I, I think a change we've seen in the last years is that the, um, the, the skill diversity in the founder teams is increasing. Um, I, I, I think, or if I were to start a company, I would, because I come from a business background, I would look for, for deep tech people. Um, and what we see is that young people try to connect more across universities. So 
at uh, WHU, I would probably do a trip to Aachen from time to time and we would meet with the tech people there or go to Karlsruhe or talk to to um, the more technical universities because they have the same problem just the other way around. And um, I would create partnerships on a like university to university level where you do like matchmaking events um, and weeks maybe together like entrepreneurial weeks where you like synchronize some programs and then do matchmaking things and, and maybe it will not lead to like the founding of of hundreds of companies but if you meet your future co-founder from when you're at WHU from a tech university and just like you know each other and then start to talk to each other and brainstorm on what can be done um, the combination of great skills in different areas usually is very important mm -hmm. so yeah if I were to start a company especially at, at university um, at student age I would try to, com to, to find co-founders from other worlds come from an era in tech when you didn't need deep technical knowledge to build a successful business. You, know, you could build and launch an MVP marketplace in a weekend with very little effort. Nowadays, it seems like startups require much deeper technical skill sets to be on top of the current trends in the digital landscape. On the other hand, if you, if you, just, if you want to do a marketplace, it's even easier. Like right. back when, when I started, um, or when we started Alando, for example, we spend like hundreds of thousands of Deutschmarks on server technologies. Today, you don't need to do that. You just use uh, AWS or Azure or, or other like cloud services and you can build like super globally scalable infrastructures from your living room uh, or your, your bedroom or wherever you want to start your company. So this is better. But, but, and then if you want to apply machine learning and other technologies, um, you can, it, it requires... A, a bit more knowledge but if you then have people who have actual deep knowledge of these things you can come up with completely new ideas that you cannot come up with alone also probably the engineering people cannot come up with the ideas that you can come up with as a combined team of business and technology and that um, I think is is great right now because the the teams we we get to see The really good ones, they, they are the combination of, like, on the one hand, deep tech ideas, and on the other hand, um, deep, like, business-oriented ideas. I want to ask one follow-up question to that, is particularly with tech talent, there's a growing movement towards having geographically dispersed teams, with the business guys in one place and the tech teams potentially somewhere across the globe. Does APX prefer teams with a technical co-founder in-house from the beginning, or are you flexible with that criteria? Yeah, that, that's a super interesting question because we are discussing it um, inside of APX uh, intensely um, because we also we are learning right now that um, uh, physical presence is not as important as, as we have thought in the past. And um, we think that you need to be together from time to time. Um, but uh, we also think that it's possible to build distributed companies, especially 
with more and more people being completely used to working remote and distributed. Um, so I think this this is a this is a massive change over the past five years, um, where it's become way more mainstream um, that that you don't have like this one place where you meet every day. I think you need to meet and maybe. When you start a company, it's a great opportunity to meet like for six months at something like APX and then like go into the different parts of the world again. So, yeah, but I think this this is um, it's not unique to to the startup world. Like my wife, for example, she works for a big insurance company. She can't go to her office today because they are turning the whole office into um, into a huge um non-permanent working space they have a special name for it and they, there's no no um, no fixed desks anymore and they have less desks than people and they have to work from home two days per week so that's a topic that's really interesting for me i'm currently doing my doctoral research on flow states and whether the amount of time a team spends in flow is a correlate of startup success And creating an environment that optimizes concentration and performance may be really important. But different people optimize under different conditions. Actually, two floors up, we have a company. They're called Flowletics. And they started a company about flow states. Awesome. So maybe you want to meet them. Maybe I do want to meet them. That's really interesting. <laughs> That was really funny. When we, um, when we looked at them, they were in the first, one of the first companies we've invested into. Um, they, they, um, did, they're working with some... Uh, um, scientists at the Cologne University uh -huh. and um, when we looked at them we were not sure we liked the topic a lot um, how our shareholders like the topic of being in a flow state um, because we, we we thought maybe they think it's it sounds a little bit esoteric but it's not and then we talked we had like a meeting with uh, Porsche and Axel Springer and we're sitting together and discussing like companies who applied And then we were like, yeah, and then we have this company. We really think it's a cool idea. They're working on the flow state and how to get into it and how to like get out of it and how to prepare yourself to get into it when you need to, but not exhaust yourself too much. And um, and we wanted to like see how they, they feel about it. And then uh, um, Tilo from Porsche, he, he was like, oh, that's a super interesting topic. You cannot imagine how much money we spend to get our race drivers into flow state. Yeah, if we can do this with an app, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, I believe it was the VC James Slavitt from Greylock who said the most important management metric of the 21st century is the percentage of time a team spends in flow. And with our changing work environments, you know, We both come from the era of the startup grind where you work day and night, you kick your own ass relentlessly, and you wake up one day 20 kilos heavier, tired and miserable. Yeah, and it's it's not sustainable. It's it's uh, it's like it's like you feel like a lemon and you squeeze yourself. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I want to make sure we have enough time to hear a little bit about your story, since you have quite the interesting entrepreneurial journey. Maybe you could share a little bit about where you come from, your experience as a founder, and uh, 
Yeah, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so it all started basically um, in Cologne, where I was born. And um, I, um, after my, how do you call it, civil services um, that you had to do when I was young, um, I, I was finished earlier than I thought and uh, I got uh, um, a place at the Cologne University studying business administration so I started and um, I had a bore out after my first semester <laughs> it was just like didn't didn't fulfill me and then I joined a student initiative at the University of Cologne that organized a conference and we um, organized a conference with a topic um, resource information how information will change the way we work And live that was in 1993 and we thought about who can be interesting speakers for that and then somehow um, we got Bill Gates as one of our keynote speakers because he actually wanted to attend um, CeBIT the conference and he found it so funny that we that one of us actually flew to because that their defense strategy was uh, when we called and said we want Bill Gates to be keynote speaker at our conference They were like, uh, he doesn't speak at conferences, at commercial conferences. We said, oh, that's not a problem. We are a student conference, so it's not commercial. And then they, they said, well, if you come to um, Seattle and if you, yeah, if you come, you get five minutes. And if he then wants to do it, he'll do it. Because I think they, they thought they wouldn't, that we would not be able to pay for the ticket. We had enough money to pay for the ticket. So uh, one of my colleagues flew over got this five-minute meeting, Bill Gates uh, said, okay, I'll do it. And, and after that, we could get anyone on the planet because yeah. all, the, all the people <laughs> would ask, like, so who else is coming to your funny little conference? And they were like, yeah, and this person, this person, and Bill Gates, and this person, <laughs> this person. And they're like, Bill Gates is coming, I'm there. So we had like an amazing uh, lineup of speakers, really cool people. And through, through the, the preparation of the conference, I met um, Howard Reingold. I don't know if you know him. He wrote a book about virtual communities. And um, I actually, I only called him because our last name sounds very similar. <laughs> Then it's like, hey, I have a very similar name as you. And um, I'm organizing this conference and we're talking a lot about business, but we'd be very interested in like the social effects of, um, of digital and of digital communities and, and his book virtual communities is still like a very good book that that i recommend uh, everyone to read and howard was like yeah um, i'm coming doing a video he, he, he didn't come in person we did a video thing back then it was quite uh, intense to do and he invited me to the social network he was using well the whole earth electronic link um, which was really interesting and then i was like one of the few members from 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 europe in this electronic network called bulletin board systems um, and we discussed what the internet will do to to us and with us and what it will it it will allow us to do with each other and our the way we work and we live and we learn and i found this so interesting that after the conference um, i found just going to university too boring and through a lot of coincidences um, I started a company together with three friends um, where we helped companies, that was our idea, help companies to become more digital. And yeah, called Denkwerk in Cologne, um, did that for five years, had customers, um, like small to medium-sized customers in Cologne and then later all over Germany and um, built this 
out of cash flow. So we didn't get any external money, any any credits. We just created it out of the money that we made. And um, after five years, we were doing several millions of, of revenue each year. We had like 40 people who worked for Denkwerk. It was doing good. And I had my next bore out where I was like driving around at one summer evening thinking about is this what I want? And I was like, this is not what I want. This is really cool, but it's actually not what I want. I don't want to run an agency. I want something else. And then I met um, Oli Zamba, um, who was a friend of one of my co-founders. And uh, Felix, my co-founder, uh, was like, I'm uh, bringing Oli, who he's studying at, uh, at WHU. Um, and he will do an internship at Denkwerk, and we will see where this takes us. And then I met Oli for the first time, and it was really, really funny because he was like, he still is, full of energy. It took us like a week until we said, okay, th th we will change Denkwerk into something else. And then we did several things together, and then he went back to university. We always talked about, okay, what is the next thing that needs to be done? And then uh, in, it was in 1999, Early 1999, uh, we had a conversation after he had done uh, his um, his uh, diploma, right? It was called like his final thesis, mm, that we should start something else together. Um, and there, the idea was to to start something that is uh, completely different from what Denkwerk was. We said, okay, we don't want like very f a few customers where we get like hundreds of thousands of, uh, of revenue from each customer. Let's have lots of customers so that we are not, um, that, we, we, that it, the single customer is not that important. Um, it, it's still important, but not like we, if one customer leaves, we won't go. It's like, it will not touch our ability to stay in business. Um, we want a model where we make money if our customers make money. And we want um, something that can scale a lot faster than, than a consulting company. And we want to use um, a different way to finance it. We want to find business angels, venture capital, and then do financing rounds. And mm. since in 1999, everyone was talking about the like, or it was in America, everyone was talking about venture capital and, he, and, and IPOs. Here in Germany, it started somehow. We're like, and we want to take the company public after two years. And um, we're like, yeah, that's a cool idea. And then um, we actually started Alando. And we, um, we started it around the corner from here, actually, um, and built it and uh, did the first like financing round after four weeks, I think. Yeah, that was in April 1st. We went online of 1999. And in May, when we were about to do our second financing round, um, we met through one of the banks we were talking to um, with Pierre Omidyar, the founder of eBay. Mm -hmm. And then um, we sold Alando to eBay after six months, basically. Actually, the, the lunch we had with Pierre after agreeing, okay, we'll, we'll, uh, we, we said, okay, it's all or nothing. Either you, we have to sell the whole company to you and then we will be eBay in Germany or um, you have to do eBay in Germany, we'll do Alando and then we'll see <laughs> what comes out of this. And he was like, no, no, let's do it together. Um, 
the lunch we had was around the corner from here, the uh, the restaurant. I'd, I'd like to go there like at least once per week and <laughs> have a really good feeling. Uh, sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and then... Did you have a lot of customers at that point? Yeah, 58,000. Right. Yeah, so we actually were also growing very fast from the beginning. Um, yeah, and I think that that was also something that I learned there. You you have to have like a um, like an intellectually good model, but you also have to get your hands dirty, and you have to talk to them, you have to call them, and you really have to do a lot to um, to uh, to to get them as customers. And they are all very important. So you you sold the Lando. Mm -hmm. You yeah, and then, yeah, yeah, for five years. I was the only uh, Alando founder who stayed with eBay. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I was for f with eBay for five years. Um, after the five years, another bore out came because I was like, this is not what I right now want to do. And then my twin sons were born, took uh, half a year off, um, then uh, started a, a little investment company with one partner, and we started to invest in two companies. Um, I did TEDx conferences here in Germany. We actually did the first ones here and brought TEDx to to uh, to to Germany and Europe. I think so, yeah. But it's another another friend of mine who's doing that now. I'm I'm not that involved anymore. Um, and then did some things at universities. Um, I wrote a book about um, business digital business models because I always wanted to try out how it is to write a book. Mm. Did several investments into startups, co-founded um, a non-profit organization called Better Place. It's uh, nowadays, I think, the, the biggest uh, donation platform in, in Germany. Um, it's uh, self-sustainable. It's a non-profit share-based company, which is a really uh, interesting setup. Um, it's great. And now it, it gets like one day per month from me. But there were times where it got a lot more time, and and uh, yeah, it's it's cool. Um, and five years, six years ago, I joined Axel Springer Plug and Play as the first managing director. And yeah, now nowadays I'm I'm doing this Axel Spring uh, APX, um, and um, I have a new uh, like side role since a year. I'm on the board of Balsen, that's a cookie company, which is also super interesting because it's. It's a completely different world that I can like be in for some hours per month and, and think about how how can cookies be digitized. There's a really bad joke that can be made. No, I won't do it. <laughs> I know where you're going with that one. So over the past few years, you know, I've gone through this experience where I went from only ever being a founder to becoming an employee. I think you're kind of in a similar situation, no? Yeah, and for me, it's always um, like I'm, I'm ping-ponging between the roles. And I think um, I'm always trying to get the best out of out of each role. So right now I'm employed at um, RPX as a managing director, and I have um, two really cool people I report to. And uh, there's the board of Axel Springer that really is interested in what we are doing, and the board of Porsche that is interested in what we are doing. But it's completely different than than uh, running your own thing where you don't report to anyone. Well, that changes the moment you take someone else's money. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I'm for me, um, like the main motive of um, or the, the thing that's important to me is um, the combination of freedom and opportunities. And when I'm free to do things, 
um, then and and I see opportunity, then I'm happy. I don't mind if it's my company or someone else's. Um, as long as I can can do things that make sense and um, and be a part of it, then I'm I'm like super happy. I'm totally with you on that one. I like to say that as long as I get to build shit, I'm happy with whatever role I'm playing. But anyway, I, I just want to ask you a few short questions for a little perspective on Jörg the man. First of all, what book is on your bedside table? Um, that's really funny because uh, um, right now there's a book about Italy, the history of Italy that I'm, uh, I'm reading. And um, there's a table in our living room. My wife was quite upset with me because there are so many books on it. Um, so yeah, I'm reading like 10 books in parallel right now. So, and I'm going on vacation, so um, yeah, I, I will. Yeah, I will finish all of them. And then the other question: What's cycling on your playlist these days? Yeah, uh, there's the new um, album of um, Apparat that I'm listening to quite a bit. It's a Berlin uh, electronic band, and uh, I'm actually listening to quite a lot of podcasts. Good. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you'll get to hear this one soon as well. Jörg, thank you so much for thank you. Time thank you for being here. It was really a pleasure. Likewise. Cheers. That was Jörg Reinbold, managing director of APX, Axel Springer Plug and Play, founder, investor, and overall startup wizard. Be sure to join us for our next episode with Sven Groylich, partner at the world's leading law firm for startups, Oric, Harrington, and Sutcliffe. We'll be talking investment, law, and the pitfalls of not knowing the legal implications of your decisions as a founder. It should be a good one. Bis nächstes Mal.